Let's uh, ask the Lord to bless our time in the Word. Dear Lord, thank you very much for the goodness of your scriptures. We'd ask that we would be moved forward in our lives because of it. In your Son's name, amen. Okay. Already, my own son threatened... What did you threaten me with? A word with me. Because this is what tradition does. You have been going to a church that regularly has one passage of scripture on the right-hand side. One, two, three, four, five, six passages of scripture. And so my son who grew up with that one passage, traditions were not followed, and already the church split is uh, shaping up. Um, the reason for this is not because there, was, there wasn't one passage of scripture that would do uh, this morning. But uh, I was, and I don't, I'm not going to recommend this to you. This was, I was caught flat-footed by this a number of months ago. Um, uh, a young wife wanted to throw her husband a surprise party and was putting together a set of clues that he was going to follow during the day. I was the reward of one of those clues. He was supposed to show up at my house. I would have his pipe and his tobacco. We would sit and talk about things important for a while. Then I would give him the next clue and off he would go. I agreed to it months ago. It turns out it was yesterday. And uh, so midway through uh, Leslie and I working on the yard, I was looking like nine miles a bad road. He shows up, I have to get to, share a pipe load with him, talk, give him his next clue. On he went. In the conversation, what I'm thinking about this morning came up. He made the comment that he was, he was beginning to think that, that an effective preaching of the gospel without suffering was, was not anywhere near as effective. That some, some, someone suffering, uh, the Christian, evangelizing the non-Christian, the Christian suffering was um, a real strong uh, persuasive element. He's thinking of his own conversion, how much he had been evangelized by someone who was going through great uh, distress, and that alone made a very deep impression on him. So we talked about that. I wasn't willing to say that that was universally true, or that is a, an, something you could make an adage out of. But here on the left-hand side, 1 Peter 1, 6, it says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer various trials, so that the genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, which though perishable is tested by fire, may redound to praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Without having seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with unutterable and exalted joy. As the outcome of your faith, you obtain the salvation of your souls. So this verse echoed what my friend was saying about suffering. 
You may have to suffer various trials. The whole book of 1 Peter is about persecution of the church and how you deal with it. But he's saying, so that the genuineness of your faith may have its effect. Your salvation, potentially others. And it describes the faith that you have. You haven't seen him, you love him. You haven't seen him, but you believe in him. And on the flip side of that, you not only suffer and believe, you not only suffer and are genuine, the genuineness of it is described this way. Unutterable, that means you can't say it, an exalted joy. So as I talked to my friend, he said, yeah, I, said I, I, I like your idea, but I, I don't think that's the, what the measure is. Because what it is in suffering, and this passage is one of the giveaways for it, the nature of suffering is that no one's supposed to be having unutterable and exalted joy in those situations. That's just basically, everybody is, well, you know, you've seen the stuff online, how, you know, what it's called a men's cold, when men have the flu, or, and women are always, you know, going on with life and working their way through and doing the laundry, and a, a man gets the sniffles, he's holed up on the couch with a bl blankie, because um, men can't take it. I don't know how many of you men are like that, but you're wusses. I'm saying that with the authority of the church behind me. We know that whatever the case, there is this expectation, a legitimacy. Sure, you're sick. Of course you're not going to be up-tempo. But for Christians, there's something different. The genuineness of your faith, the, the realness of it, it's not fake. That even though we have not had it absolutely proved, ontologically certain, shown us, written in the sky, Jesus Christ coming down and appearing to me in my backyard, I believed and I loved, and the result was my salvation and exalted joy. What you're experiencing is not some combination of this and those, the suffering and the real Christianity, you're discovering Christianity made stark. That's what you get. What you're really getting is not some measure of how much pain they went through and what does this religion help you go through with pain. There's a stark representation that the things of God in Christ are far more effective than anything the world can do to you. So we talked for a bit about that, that it's really Christians have things that ought to be in, you've heard of the phrase, stark relief. What does that mean, when something is in stark relief? Was that my phone? Must have been. The stark relief um, is when you see something in front of something else and it's color or the light falling on it makes it stand out in an aggressive way against the background. You really, and it can be all sorts of things that are in stark relief. And what we're looking at this morning is what is it 
in our ministry to the lost, in our representation of Christ on earth, that we are to attend to, to put into stark relief. One is, how do I deal with suffering? The second passage here, out of 1 Peter 2, Beloved, I beseech you as aliens and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Maintain good conduct among the Gentiles, so that in case they speak against you as wrongdoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. There's another example, no suffering involved. They might speak against you, but your good conduct stands out in stark relief. They will notice your good deeds and glorify God because of it. The genuineness of your faith is evident in suffering. The genuineness of your faith is evident in your good deeds. And so what you need to be saying to yourself is, do I stand out in any kind of relief against the background of the world? Uh, One of my favorite painters is uh, Caravaggio. And Caravaggio was known, kind of like Rembrandt, uh, it's called chiaroscuro. There's a, a really, really, really dark, plain background. A lot of other things are absorbed into that darkness. You'll see rooms and people and things. And then the main subject of the painting has got this light falling on it that is brighter than the source of the light that is coming into the space. You might even sometimes see the window. I think there's one of his calling... Or was that uh, Rembrandt? Rembrandt might have done that one. The Calling of St. Matthew. Um, But that's what your life is supposed to be like. That the figure that you have, that you promote, that you stand up with, without it being, you know, screaming at people, notice me, you can't help but be noticed because of what your religion is. So first you have to define what your religion is. So you say, okay, there are a lot of people that are very noticeably religious in a, of a Christian version. And I want to warn you about that first before we go any further. I'd warn you at the end about mis, misalignment on this, but I'll warn you first. So on the right-hand side of the page, the first passage in Mark 12, and in his teaching he said, this is Jesus speaking, beware of the scribes, who like to go about in long robes and have salutations in the marketplaces and the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They'll receive the greater condemnation. Now, There's a lot of religious things that you could do to put yourself in stark relief as a religious person. Long prayers is one of them. People who think they will be heard for their many words. Or translating whatever you have to request of God into King James English so that he will understand you. Because God speaks King James English only. We have pretenses. 
And there's a lot of pretense in religion. A lot of things you can seize on. People who are pretending, my, my adage that I've attached to this sort of thing is, one is not what one must pretend to be. So if you are pretending to be a Christian, pretending to look like a Christian, pretend to look like a holy Christian, you're admitting to yourself that you're not. And here's the other side, that is not included in the uh, uh, adage. Everyone knows it. Maybe small children, under four, don't. Everyone, remember when you were 14? I remember when I was 14. My son asked me, were you cool when you were young? Um, and I, the number 14 came to my mind, and I said, nope. <laughs> now, I later became cool, don't you worry. But at 14, oh, my sister, my dear sister, had a photo of me that she would show to any girl I was interested in <laughs> at church. Now I'm going to tell you about this photo, just in case she still carries it with her. She used to carry it with her to be sure that I would never succeed with the ladies. Now, it worked. Because when you're 14, you do not have a clue as to what tough is, what cool is. You, you're barely become aware of the music surrounding you. You're barely aware. And so young people will overdress the part they think they ought to play in the society. Surely they could never tell I'm 14. And in this photo, I'm standing in the backyard. You can imagine as I was thin, which that takes an awful lot of your imagination. I had a, uh, I had a sweatshirt that I said, wouldn't it be cool if this were a vest with the fuzzy side out? I cut the sleeves off, I cut the waistband off, and I cut it up the middle and flipped it inside out and had no shirt on and this vest because no shirt on and a vest was obviously cool. I had a master lock combination lock on my belt loop because metallic things hanging from your belt loop in some world at 14 was cool. And I had a sparkler in my hand My hair had just begun to grow out. You know, it was just after uh, my sainted father had said I could grow my hair long, but it hadn't been long enough. So it's just, my hair is very much like guns and just sticking out. And here's the worst. I was sucking my cheeks in because I have a fat face and I wanted to look like George Harrison. It was a sad, sad youth I had. <laughs> Now, how could I have walked out the door of my home and allowed someone with a camera to take a picture of me like that? Because pretense only really fools the idiot who's pretending. People who make pretense of long prayers, long robes, Salutations of the market. They like being the holy man. You know what it is to be say, well, he had Baptist pastor's hair. Now, a Baptist pastor you know, has the bouffant. You know, they, I don't know where they thought, seminary, they find out how to do their hair like that. 
Nobody said, is this religion? Is this Christianity? Is this the stark relief you want to stand out from the background with? So what first has to happen is the Corinthians passage here. The next one. 1 Corinthians 6, 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the immoral nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor sexual perverts, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor robbers, will inherit the kingdom of God. Ooh, tough, tough batch. Then it says, and such were some of you. We were, we were messed up. We were like this. Such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of our God. The first stark evidence in your life needs to be your experience with the grace of God. Do you know what the grace of God has meant to you? That they can write a list of all the people that will not absolutely not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, Jake wrote, read one out of Revelation that listed the bad behavior. And he lists the bad behavior here. And then he said, and you guys were like that. But the grace of God to wash you, to sanctify you, to justify you, that has to be in stark relief to you against the backdrop of everything that is religion. Against everything that is wickedness, on one hand, that you're in stark relief against that because you've been forgiven. You've been called out of that. Is that clear to you? When you wake up in the morning, now, we were talking about people who have a hard time waking up in the morning. Let's say, say have a hard time treating anybody civilly in the morning. No, there's no special dispensation from Jesus for that. You're wicked in the morning, confess it in the morning, you're wicked. If, uh, so if you, you need to be able to get out of bed knowing that you're a sinner forgiven. It should be in stark relief against your life and the temptations of your life that God's grace is there to let you fix you up, forgive, build. The first Peter in the next, on the left hand side, halfway down, it says first Peter two nine. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. Listen to that: chosen, royal, holy, God's own. That you may declare the wonderful deeds of Him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. You have to be aware that you were called out of darkness into his marvelous light. If you haven't been called out of darkness into his marvelous light, don't worry about becoming a Christian in stark relief against the world because you're not a Christian. You have to have passed from death to life. That's what makes you a chosen, royal, holy, God's own people. Once you were no people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you know what it's like to meet somebody who's received mercy? Are you the person 
who knows very well what you did wrong, and you receive mercy. I think when people even begin with the grace of God to them, wondering if the forgiveness they've experienced is in stark relief against the unforgiven, the still sinful, whether or not it would change remarkably the evangelism of the lost. Not because Christians are running around saying they're holy, but Christians running around saying they were forgiven. In John 15, the next passage down on the right-hand side, by this my Father is glorified. This is in Christ's high priestly prayer. The next two passages are. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. This is right before the high priestly prayer. And so proved to be my disciples. Get that? You bear much fruit and so proved to be my disciples. So this, one of the things that should be in stark relief against the background so that people would notice people would see, people would grasp, this is an element of things, is the fruit you bear. As my Father loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Christ says, this is what my labor among you has been for. That you would love, that you would rejoice. Prove to be my disciples. We are, how do you people know that you're a disciple of Jesus Christ? Do they have to wait for you to tell them? Is there nothing in you, in your religion, that's in stark relief? And sometimes we're happy to put on the religious garb, the long robes, the long prayers, recognition, clerical collar for the vicar, so that people would be told, I don't know if you knew, but I'm religious. I don't know if you knew, but I am a Christian. Oh, really? I hadn't thought that you were religious at all, says the unbeliever. So what proves to be his disciples? What proves to be his disciples abiding in his love, joy made complete and full, and that love is, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. So the starkness is this, this basically a state of love that you are in in God and Christ, expressive of, what's the phrase? Full joy. Because you're living in the way that the Lord asks you to live. That's it. Simple. No, not the prissy set of rules that you might be able to pick up from any church. It says, well, there'll be no smoking. There will be no this, that, or the other thing. Even the rules that we'd all agree on are good things or bad things. We don't, as Christians, follow it that way. Or keeping the commandments of God, it says in Romans... 12, or 13, somewhere in there, that love fulfills all the commandments. You do not wrong your neighbor. So this, abiding in his love, being loving, 
in such a way that it's in stark relief against anything else is, uh, is going to have the effect of making you good. Christians should seem good. John 17. I do not pray for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may also all be one, even as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. Notice how he just, that two chapters earlier, so proved to be my disciples. The bearing of the fruit that you have, the love that we have. Here it's the unity the saints have in Christ that the world may believe. That when you put societies together, um, you can't put societies of disparate cultures, disparate backgrounds, disparate religions together in a society and not have fights happen. Even different languages. Different sports affections. So when you create a fraternal order, like the Order of the Odd Fellows, or Masons, or Moose, or Elks, whatever it is you're in, Rotary, you have to agree to a certain set of principles. That's why I think churches want you to sign a certain statement of faith. Now you say, well, I didn't sign one, and I'm here. Well, you don't have one, so, sorry. We expect you to be in Christ. You ought to live like you're in Christ, not like you're in all souls Christian. But our Christianity takes the disparate nature of things, and we have unity in spite of that. When we act starkly in a disunified way, it's when we try to practice unity, our design of unity, which says everyone agrees with Evan, Evan will get along with. That's not a healthy way to do it. That's how the rest of the world functions. There's nothing, there's nothing unique about that. What's wonderfully unique is that we believe in Christ, that we would be one so that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. There's something about our change that allows us as a body, talks about that in Corinthians, that we're individually members one of another. When he says in Romans, where is it? Where's Romans? Romans 14. As for the man who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not for disputes over opinions. Christianity functions differently than every other social group that says, okay, if you agree with this list of things, you can join. If you agree with these doctrines, you can join. Jesus Christ said, it doesn't really matter because you're in Christ. You're joined together, period. Even when you have differences of opinions that, that you could easily have an argument over. You don't welcome them for a dispute over opinion, but not for disputes over opinions. So how we are one, in th verse 23, I and them and they and me, thou and me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them even as thou hast loved me. That's what you're convincing the world of. Is the, 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 the way you function with the rest of believers, you say, well, I get along with everybody at all souls. I mean, I, we don't all agree and we can still function. 
Um, but there are other churches in town with dear believers in them. And I think actually, you know, I, wanna, I, I think I can commend Moscow, Idaho for being actually a pretty loving community amongst Christians. The way the Christians get along between churches, between doctrines, pretty nice. But keep it up. It's starkly different than what the world does in groups. Luke 6. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great. And you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the selfish. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. What stands out here is, of course, you have enemies, but they're not. They're people who don't like you. You know who they are. And you're supposed to stand in stark relief, both to the enemy and to the, yourself and to the world observing that you are kind to the ungrateful and the selfish because that makes you like the most high people will see you as hey there's a son of I always like that phrase in Daniel when the handwriting on the wall had happened and the queen mother comes in they're all wondering who's going to translate this weirdness and she says uh, there's one Belteshazzar Daniel who um, in him were the spirit of the holy gods he had a reputation of being in touch with God. You have to have a reputation of being someone who's like the Most High, who's a son of the Most High, because of how you treat those un that unique category that everybody has called enemies. And the whole world wants to fight their enemies. Well, that's what their enemies for, right? That's why you have them. But to be kind to them, to love your enemies, to good to your enemies. So you have this, this starkness of grace. You have the starkness of your joyful obedience. You have the starkness of how the community of you deal with each other. You have the starkness of how you function in a moment of conflict. Romans 12, 9. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Never flag in zeal. Be aglow with the Spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in your hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Practice hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be conceited. 
Repay no one evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends upon you, live peaceably with all. I wanted to go through, that's one of those lists of Paul's that he goes through and throws a bunch of things against the wall. And, and you know, it's a good list of good things and you sort of skim read through it. But I was noticing, and you notice what I bolded out, some things that were sort of, with my thinking about being a starkly evident Christian, the genuineness of your love, you outdo one another in showing honor. Outdo. Never flag in zeal. I think I was an expert in that flagging business because I went out for football because of a cheerleader in high school because I really was desperate to either be cool as a hippie or be cool as a football player. I succeeded at neither. But wind sprints, I don't recommend them. Um, and I try to figure out ways, how am I going to flag in this? How am I going to, you know, look like I'm running but not be? We know what we do. When it becomes tiresome, when, when, when it's just not working out for you, when people are not gathering around and applauding your efforts in Christ, and all the rewards for his being zealous are not being paid out to you, don't flag. Be aglow. Outdo. Genuine. Never flag. Be aglow. Rejoice. Be patient. Bless. And then, just in case you were feeling like it just was too much to do, let's say you need to come across as a noble person. Not measured by your own sense of nobility that you bought yourself a cape and a rapier. You don't get to be noble in some sort of play-acting way. But you have to take thought, what is nobility in the eyes of them because that nobility ought to be in me. Take thought to what is noble in the sight of all. Their observation, not yours, not your fanciful view of what you could be like if you acted like a noble. You're supposed to be gauged so that you will stand out in relief against what is happening around you. So when there is evil happening to you. You don't repay evil for evil, but take thought to what is noble. So that someone walking by the moment will go, that was noble. Because you stand out in stark relief against everybody else's choice. You loved your enemies. You did not return evil for evil. We have to remember, and, and this was just, frankly, this was like shooting fish in a barrel. Uh, I could just flip through the New Testament. Oh, I'll take that one, I'll take that one, I'll take that. And you could talk about all of the things that J Jesus Christ has given us in him that makes Christians stand out in a good way to everybody's eye. Not that you won't have enemies. Not that you'll lead everyone to Christ. I don't think that's in the cards but that you represent what Christianity is. You're not being 
the pretending scribe or Pharisee or just the, the, the nice, good Protestant person. You're having a genuine experience with God and it's making you look unique. So remember that pretense won't do. If you don't have the thing that is natural, don't try to fake your idea. Now, I don't know where you are politically. I don't care. Uh, I'm generally, at least in my economics, I'm conservative. Um, and one of the complaints people have about people who are not conservative economically is they have um, foolish notions about them being able to design a financial plan for the United States. You can't run finances from a center location. It has to be a free, free exchange. And that's what happens to people who think they can have their love be starkly evident without them being loving yet. Because not everyone makes pretense at being uh, just religious. Religion is absolutely easy to pretend to because there are going to be certain looks. You visit you know, a church and you very quickly know what the look is that's the most religious look. I think it's guys with ponytails. That's the new look for Christians. Um, I'm going to grow mine out. Just saying. Um, but when we fake virtue, when you fake love, or you fake joy, some people think that laughing all the time is joyful. I'm not letting my eyes slip onto anybody in particular. And so they think, people will think I'm joyful if I'm always kind of giddy. Don't fake those re things that require it to be a reality. Real peace, real joy, real patience. Let your love be genuine. Fix that and realize that part of what it is there for is it will help you stand out representing a gospel that needs the real thing happening to make it convincing. It reminds us here on the end of this Romans passage. Never, beloved, verse 19, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. No, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals upon his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That helps you stand out. They notice. They notice when the person, their enemy, does them good. There's the, uh, if you ever get a chance to read Agape Leadership, uh, it's about the life of R.C. Chapman, a Plymouth Brethren, man of God in the 1800s, late 1800s. Never had a ministry that was that big, but... Uh, he was known all over the British Empire because he was so good. And he was good to his enemies because in the Plymouth Brethren, like any denomination, Plymouth Brethren was brand new at this point. Um, George Mueller was one of his acquaintances and J.N. Darby and some others. Fighting over turf, you know, turf wars as pastors can get into things about their churches and membership. God wanted, was trying to, edged R.C. Chapman out of his ministry 
Darcy Chapman gave it to him, gave him his ministry. People, some, somebody who was bad-mouthing him during the week, during to other people, R.C. Chapman bought some groceries, took them over to his house, gave him a supply of groceries. People didn't know what to do with this guy. He was nice to people who were his enemies. He said, I don't want to be nice to my enemies. Well, that's the problem. Why the gospel hasn't reached a lot of people. We want to function just like the world and not stand out in stark relief. We'd rather just go pretend to the religion. Let's go pretend the religious actions. Let's do that. Let's make a claim about our creed. But the claim is what it has done for us. And that we're weird. Keep the church weird. Okay? That's all I ask. You need to stand out in stark relief. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we are very grateful. Very grateful. Help us pick up those glowing things in our life to where our faith is noticed for the good that it becomes in us and the good we do to others, the joy we have in our community, the walk we have with your son. And in his name we pray. Amen.